Why is it that angle? Okay. Hey guys, how you doing? I'm Dr. Kenya, and uh, today joining us is our very special guest, attorney Erin Moore. Um, so she's uh, a social justice activist, and she does a lot of great stuff in the communities, uh, not just in the local communities where she resides, but across the world, she's affecting positive change. And we are certainly looking forward to, uh, to hearing what she has to say. We're going to be talking about a couple of different things today. Uh, I'm going to get real personal with you guys about my personal experiences with um, not just law enforcement, but the judicial system. And attorney Aaron Moore is going to kind of um, lay out you know, some different scenarios, how it could have happened, should have transpired. And we're going to also point out to you the uh, systemic racism, as you all are already aware of. There's a lot of systemic racism when it comes to people of color, men of color, um, people that are considered Black, Negro, colored, right? So we're going to talk a little bit about that as well and how attorney Aaron Moore has stepped up to the plate to really kind of, you know, fight that fight, right? Um, speak up and speak out against injustices. So we're going to talk a little bit about that. We're also going to talk a little bit about her practice, a little bit about who she is, how she got into the movement, and what she has been doing um, since uh, she's been part of the movement, so to speak, and then anything else that she really wants to talk about. So we're going to do an intro about who Aaron, attorney Aaron Moore is, kind of her background, and then we're going to kind of um, have more like an open discussion. And uh, we're going to just kind of hit it back off, back and forth with each other. I'm going to tell you guys a little uh, personal uh, uh, legal case, that uh, situation that happened with me. And, uh, and Aaron, attorney Aaron Moore is going to speak about that a little bit. And then we're gonna uh, we're gonna move forward. So we're gonna have fun with this piece, guys. So um, definitely check it out. And then um, and uh, you'll have an opportunity to ask questions uh, later and or follow up in my uh, clubhouse uh, group. Uh, what is it, Doc, at Doctor Kenya <laughs> so, on Clubhouse at Doctor Kenya? So with no further ado, Attorney Aaron Moore, welcome. Thank you so much for being here. I appreciate having you. How are you? Thank you. I'm I'm doing well. Thanks. Uh, do you want me to basically give a, a, a brief background of my experience? Yeah if, you would. yeah, if you would tell us who you are, your background as an attorney, how long you've been an attorney that kind of paint the picture for our audience and then kind of go where, where you decided to go from there. So I basically um, did criminal defense for about 20 years. I uh, worked in various public defender's offices in California, as well as private practice doing criminal defense. And um, currently I am doing dependency law, uh, which is a whole different, different area of law. Um, basically, I represent parents when their children have been taken away, or taken from their care uh, by the government. And that's what I'm currently doing okay so you've been doing that for a while so it kind of like the dcfs cases and uh child welfare stuff like that social services got you right got you now i'm sure that's definitely been uh, uh um definitely different right from what you oh, yeah. were doing before um how much more um have you really uh what's the word i'm looking for how much more of a difference is that for you? Like you, you get it on one end, you're a criminal defense attorney, right? And you're, right. you're, you're, you're trying to keep the families together. Right. And then here it is now you're fighting, right. To, for those children that have been taken away by DCFS, still trying to put those, that those children back together with the family. So you're still kind of doing a similar, a similar thing with bringing the families back together, trying to keep the families together. Mm -hmm. So what has that experience been like for you? And uh, tell us a little bit about that. Well, it's a completely different type of law. Uh, it's very technical law. Um, and it's a completely different type of practice. When I was in criminal defense, um, I, did a, I was in trial a, a whole lot, um, jury trials. Um, the, in these dependency cases, you don't have jury trials. It's just a, a bench trial. It's the judge and um, just different standards of, of proof, different. It's, it's a, an entirely different area of law. Um, I still do some criminal defense, but primarily that's what I'm doing right now. 
Okay. Um, and so when you, when you say you're practicing uh, family law, are you, uh, are you a guardian ad litem or you're just, uh, what's your role in that? I know you're an attorney, but do you deal with, what do you deal with specifically in that area, if you don't mind? So as a dependency lawyer, I represent the parents um, and just make sure that they're, rights aren't being violated. And um, basically, you know, there, there are, there have to be specific reasons. Um, it's for the child's safety that the, the children are removed from the home. And uh, the Department of Social Services is required to um, try to avoid removing the children from the home because it's a, it's a very traumatic uh, situation for the children or everyone involved. Um, and sometimes there's some overreach. So basically as an attorney representing the parents, I make sure that the government, uh, CWS workers are within acting within the law and, um, doing what they're supposed to be doing and not overreaching that kind of thing. So keeping them accountable, basically, uh, transparency and accountability, basically, is what, uh, what you're pretty much doing, right? Uh, pretty much, yeah. Got it. I'm trying to um, update this name on here because I, I see it showing up differently on, um, on Zoom. So I'll edit this portion out. Um, your name is showing up fine as Aaron Moore, but mine showing up as a business name. So hopefully that will make the adjustment soon. Um, I'm trying to do it for my phone now to update it. Okay. Cool things. So hopefully it'll update on here soon. We'll see. Um, I've never had to do this before. And I thought, honestly, I was signing in for my other account, but um, I didn't. Let me see. I got it now. Cool. That works. Great. All right. Now I feel a little bit better. So they're not seeing the company's name. <laughs> they're seeing my name. Got it. All right. So listen, um, Aaron, that's, that's great um, that you are still fighting the good fight. Um, now, when it comes to, I guess, your social justice initiatives, right? How long have you been actively participating in the social justice? Um, and I guess the other question is, how much flack have you caught for that? Well, um, when I started as a new attorney, um, it, my first job as an attorney was with the, with a public defender's office. And in that role, um, it became really clear to me, uh, that there was a lot of racism in, in the system. Um, Everything from, uh, you know, police off, especially in the police department, um, there were in the area I was practicing, there were a lot of police killings mm -hmm. and generally they were people of color. Uh, there were a lot of Latino, uh, people shot unarmed, um, black people in the community. Uh, it became real clear that there was a systemic problem. Um, there is a problem with the jury trial, with the jury trial system, with the jury system. Um, I noticed that the makeup of the jury panels were not really reflective of the, of the makeup of the community, sure. the racial diversity. That's the same as not like law enforcement. You know, you have law enforcement patrolling the neighborhoods and it's not indicative of the ratio of the population of the people. You know, right. 75% African-Americans or people of color in that neighborhood are black, so-called black folk. The law enforcement or policy enforcers that's patrolling that area should be 75% black or people of color, right? Right, I, and, and, and that brings up another... Um point uh an article that i read um <clears throat> a while back 
research shows that generally speaking, when, when white police officers are called out to uh, predominantly black community communities, they're more than twice as likely to, to shoot uh, than a black officer being sent to a, a community that's uh, primarily people of color. So that is a problem as as well. I mean, there it's are problematic for sure. Yes, there are certainly a lot of problems, um, and it goes all the way from what we discussed previously from schools. You know, it starts in the schools School and prison pipeline. Yeah, and then we've got you know clear racism in police departments throughout the country. Um, there, there have been a number of studies around that. Um, I read somewhere a while back that we'd are, we had also discussed this previously. Um, and I think it was the FBI had found that a lot of police departments were infiltrated by white supremacists. That's a real problem. And um, so, yeah. Um, That's been going think, on for so long. Yeah. Yeah. So long. Yeah. Yeah. Since before we were here. So, but, you know, something needs to be done. Um, and, you know, I've been, like I told you before, uh, trying to educate people about this for a number of years. And it really only got any real attention after George, George Floyd was murdered by a police officer and it was caught on tape. Mm-hmm. It's unfortunate that it took that to open people's eyes. I mean, Eric Gardner, Eric Gardner in New York, you know, yes. Eric Gardner and, you know, uh, Michael Brown Jr. Uh, in St. Louis, Missouri. And, you know, there's been countless other Tamir Rice, you know, we can name right. them all. There's been countless other unarmed black men and women you know, um, even Moors, you know, have been murdered by by these uh, policy enforcers. So certainly, and it was happening a lot for a very long time before it was caught on tape. Yeah, but that's what it took. Um, that's that's what it took to to draw attention to the very real uh, persistent problem. Sure. Yeah, definitely. So let's uh, let's talk a little bit more about family law. So you're in family law and you're doing your best to keep families together, right? Uh, those families, the, the parents that have had their children taken away specifically, right? Calls from DCFS, child welfare, et cetera. So you're fighting that cause. Prior to that, you were a defense attorney. You had been fighting to keep, um, I guess, the defendants out of jail, right? Um, and, and keep them with their families. So you've been in this field for about 20 years. So now let's talk a little bit more about um, something that's near and dear to my heart. And I was a single father raising uh, a nine and 10 year old son and daughter. And um, from the time they were born up until like four years ago. Okay. And mom was not actively involved in the picture. Okay. Mom took off, was gone 14 and a half months later. When I say took off, she left our marital home. Okay. Uh, She came back 14 and a half months later in our third trimester, carrying someone else's child, walked right into the place where we stayed at the time in the state of Illinois, as if she was just gone to the grocery store and came back home. Like nothing ever happened. Like, I want to see my babies. What? <laughs> Are you serious right now? Mm-hmm. You missed their first words. You missed their first steps. You missed our son being potty trained at six months old. You know, you missed him walking at eight months. You missed our daughter's walk because she never crawled. She was getting out of the way. And now I knew why. Right? She was getting out of the way. She never crawled. She walked, ran before she even tried to crawl. Okay. So you missed out on those things. Our children were breastfed babies when you took off. They're 10 months apart, right? And there I was as a carpenter in a carpenter's union, 73 of us my local in St. Louis, Missouri, right? And then uh, I was going to uh, carpenter school, 
carpenters training, uh, joint apprenticeship school. Uh, I had another job working warehouse, just doing whatever I could to survive and take care of my children, our children. I had to let that go and become a single mom, a single dad, because my wife was gone. She disappeared. I didn't know where she was. All I knew is she was gone. She'd call every once in a while. And that was it. And so when she walked in the door in a third trimester, as if nothing had ever happened, I filed for divorce. I said, no, we're not doing this. I filed for divorce mm-hmm. right? in the state of Illinois. And then she fled the state of Illinois, went over to the state of Missouri. That child that she was pregnant with, I have no idea to this day what it was, what gender it was, where it is today, uh, who's the father. I know I'm not the father because uh, she was gone, right? That's clear. So in the course of from about 2008 to 2013, she ended up getting pregnant and having three children, Right. I don't know where the first child is that she had that she was pregnant with, but the other two children that she had in the state of Missouri, she gave birth to them in the state of Missouri. She put them up for adoption, which is how I found out where she was, where she lived, because the child adoption agency off of South Kings Highway contacted me and said, hey, you're the legal father of these children. What do you do? You want them? I'm like, What? What are you talking about? I haven't seen her in years. What are you talking about? Let me go father. And so um, I knew within my heart, within my heart of hearts, that I would not have been the best father to those children because of the manner in which they were created through adultery. She cheated mm-hmm. on me. I would never, could never love those children exactly how I love the children that we had through mm-hmm. our marriage. Right. And I didn't want it. I didn't want those children to have uh, a parent or parents that wouldn't fully love them the way that they could be loved and deserve to be loved. Because no child deserved to be unloved. Not to say that I would not love them. I just would not love them the same. Okay, so um, we ended up going to court. Uh, It took me that long to actually get the divorce. We finally got divorced in 2013 in a city court. And I let it be known to the judge, hey, I'm not the father. I don't want any uh, responsibilities for these children. I'm not paying child support for these children. I don't want anything to do with them. And the judge was like, well, you know, these are legally your children. I'm like, what? Because <laughs> we were legally married. So I'm like, you know what? Whatever you're saying right now, I don't want no responsibilities for them. And the judge was like, so be it, order. The children remain in your care. You're responsible for their educational upbringing, their religious upbringing, and mom gets visitation, right? And that's how it was. It remained the same for all of those years, right? So then um, mom never really exercised her visitation. Every time there was visitation, she would either not show up or not be around, or I would have to hunt her down literally. Like, hey, she's not here at the library where we're supposed to meet. She's then... You know, I, I'd call the police department. Yo, she's not here. She's not here. What, what am I supposed to do? Well, take them to her house. That's not in order. But they said, yeah. just take them to her house. And out in good faith, I did that, right? Mm-hmm. And so um, long story short, um, four years ago, four years ago, mom filed a petition with family court saying that I kidnapped our children who lived with me since they were born. I changed their names, which I didn't do, (laughs) right? And she had no idea where they were, okay? The thing is, mom visited our children before we left. We moved four hours away. Mom Mm -hmm. agreed that it was okay, that she maintained contact and communication, she called them on their cell phones because they've always had a cell phone, both of them, right? So they were always reachable. Mom came over to visit one weekend and said, hey, listen, I won't fight you for our children if you stop the child support because she owed $10,000 in child support in arrears alone at the time. And I said, no, I'm not doing that. You owe the children that. It's $350 a month. You can't pay that? 
for years. I didn't even have it retro. What do you call that? Retroactivated or retro? Right. Retroactive. Yeah. I didn't have it retroactive because before the state of Illinois was like, yeah, you got to pay $651 a month for these children. So I had that reduced. We came to Missouri. I said, no, reduce it. No, no, I don't want to do that. So they said $350 mm-hmm. per month. So mom managed to get over $10,000 in arrears, but she managed to file a, an action of family uh, in family access, uh, family access to fight for custody of the children. Right. Mm-hmm. Now, and they granted it. They granted her temporary custody at first they ordered psychological evaluations to be done for myself and for mom right mom failed the psychological evaluations when it came to our our children because she didn't know anything about our children they didn't live with her she didn't Mm -hmm. see them on a regular basis so clearly she failed the psychological evaluation but it's okay they give her they give full custody to her within six months they give mom another opportunity to do the same psychological evaluation and she failed the first time, right? And so, and, and then they put me on supervised visitation with our children for one hour, once a month. That's still currently the court order. And they placed me on child support, okay? So the other thing is, the attorney that I hired was supposed to be a free attorney through the father support center that I was going through. She somehow managed to make me a private client and she was also a judge, right? And when the actual judge that we were taking this family, uh, act, this court, uh, the, the family, the child support case to, she put a motion in to strike all of my pleadings said that I couldn't speak. I couldn't talk because I needed to pay the GAL fees and the court fees. Mind you, I had an informal papyrus on file with the court. Okay. So here I am at court, can't fight for my children. Right? They listened to all this hearsay from mom, from her attorneys, and then they put me on child support, granted her full custody, put me on supervised visitation for one hour a month. I haven't seen my children, haven't talked to my children. It's been four years since they've been in my care. Can't call them on the phone and wish them a happy birthday. I have to wish them a happy birthday on the internet by creating um uh videos for them just wishing them happy birthday mom don't let them call me mom don't let me call them so from your experience this is supposed to be what's in the best interest of the children does that sound remotely like that was in the best interest of the children at all no it sounds like terrible lawyering uh as far as your lawyer um but to, to just to clarify what I do is uh, dependency law. It's not the same as family law, um, but um, <clears throat> yeah, it like we discussed before what I would do in that particular situation. Um, uh, there was a bit more to it than that. And you paid quite a bit of money for services that weren't rendered. Um, oh yeah. I would file, yeah, yeah. I would file a complaint with the state bar. Of no, Illinois. No, let me talk about but, that really quick. I, I can I, mention that. Um, yeah, I can certainly mention that. So yeah, I paid like um, four different attorneys, four or five different attorneys at the same time I was paying for family court. I had different things going on, but it, eventually I, I paid like three different family law attorneys. Okay. Um, the first one, which was the, the attorney and judge, right. Who was mm-hmm. supposed to be free because I went through the father support program. So I paid her number one. Mm-hmm. I ended up paying another attorney who just ran off with my monies. Okay. Never showed up in court. Then the uh, last attorneys that I paid, uh, I paid them like 3,500 up front just to retain them. Right. And that covered uh, the first court appearance, a consultation at the court 
go over everything they were going to do. And uh, they filed, you know, the, 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 the motions and all of that stuff. They were supposed to question my witnesses and all of that, none of which they ever did. Um, and they were supposed to appear in court on my behalf. Mm -hmm. And uh, they never did that. So the day of court, like a day or two before court, they're telling me that they're not going to show up until I paid them $10,000 for email conversations. Right. So for, for the email correspondence. And I said, what? That's not part of what we agreed to. You guys said I paid you for this. You said that you would show up in court on my behalf and you didn't. So that's what I was stuck with. So to this date, I've had three attorneys that really took advantage of me. In the meantime, I had to sell my both of my vehicles. I had to sell uh, most of my property that I owned. I lost the apartment that I was staying in. All right. Uh, I became homeless. I was living on the streets. I was living in hotels at, at a time. And for mostly for the last three and a half, four years, I've been living in my tent. I've been living in a tent in, through all inclement weather. I've been in my uh, new apartment for one month now. Um, so that's the type of hell that I've been through. Right. Yeah. Like I said, I would uh, file a complaint. Uh, against those attorneys with the state bar you can also go after them civilly to try to get your money back because you paid them for services that weren't rendered and also um as long as your children are still minors you can still try to regain custody of them um it's difficult though to find a good lawyer a lawyer that you can trust a lawyer that will do a good job for you um, but generally, if to find most good lawyers uh, practicing family law would give you a free consultation. So it might be a good idea for you to start reaching out to different lawyers um, and just kind of see if you can find someone that you feel good about that seems reasonable and you could try to regain custody or at least um, partial custody of your children. Yeah, I tell you, my faith in lawyers right now is. Understandably, yes. Yeah. I, uh, my personal experience with family lawyers um, hasn't been great either. I mean, some family law attorneys are really very good, but there are a lot of them that are really are just after the money. So that's unfortunate. Um, and it sounds like that's who you ended up with. Yeah. Oh, let me tell you with it really quick, and then we could go to the next topic. But the GAL, the guardian at Lightham, she did a house visit with me, right? That was one of the requirements in order for the children to stay in my custody or remain in my custody or for me to have custody of them or 50-50 um, or whatever, right? Um, and she asked me, she came in my, in my apartment, she sat in a chair, and um, she had this real short dress on right? Really short dress on. And, you know, you can see everything, right? And she's asking me, what school district do I want my children to be in? She's asking me these things. And she's telling me that my house is very immaculate. And the children are, are going to just love it here. And she was speaking to me as if the children were definitely returning home. That's the indication that she'd given me, okay? Mm -hmm. She asked me certain questions, right? And she was talking about the neighborhood, how the neighborhood is really nice and all of these things. On the flip side of it, she never visited mom's residence, which was part of the court order, never mm -hmm. gave a report on mom's area where she resided in at all at all mom was receiving government assistance nothing against those that that do you know you got to do what you got to do when you can how you can really bad neighborhood gunshots every night crime sky high horrible place to be horrible mice roaches all of these things all of these things, right? So you're telling me that the babies are coming back home to me. 
But then in court, you're singing a different tune and you're talking about paying you money. And since I can't pay you the money up front, my children can't come back home to me. I don't have a voice in court. How is that legal? How is that constitution? How is that right? Yeah, I don't, you know, I don't know anything about, uh, this was in Illinois. Uh, no, this know. was in Missouri. This was in the state of Missouri, where the finalization of this. Oh, okay. We started in Illinois. Mom fled the state of Illinois. So we had to drop the divorce uh, process. So then the remaining of this stuff happened all in St. Louis. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, it, it sounds terrible um, and doesn't sound like something. I mean, I can't imagine that happening here in California um, where any one parent doesn't even have a, a an opportunity to speak or lawyers just refusing to do their job because they haven't received the payment. Um, there are times, of course, when you're retained by a client, there's an agreement, um, and then the client doesn't follow that agreement, and then you ask to be relieved by the court, but you can't just go in and refuse to represent your client or, um, you know. What was the GAL in that case? The GAL wanted to be paid. And the judge said, since you haven't paid the GAL or our court fees, um, we're striking your pleas. You can't speak. That's, that just sounds crazy. She was was very racist too. She, she had some stuff going on. She really had it in for me. Definitely. Mom sat there and she told them all these stories and all of this and all of that. And a lot of it was here saying I couldn't refute it. I couldn't refute any of it because I had no voice, right? <laughs> so then they'd ask me questions and I'd say, well, I plead the fifth. I plead the fifth. You know, so anyway, uh, so I'm glad that you were able to provide some type of insight on that, even though that's not your area of expertise. So let's talk more about some of the some of the things that you do and uh, that you're passionate about. Uh, one of the other topics that's on the list. Well, one of the things that we had previously discussed, um, you know, at least until we can get an overhaul of the system, which is desperately needed, um, the police departments and so forth. Um, one thing that people can do is when you've been harassed by a police officer or specific police officers, you go in and you can file a complaint with the police department and as we discussed before, you know, that's probably not going to get anywhere. Internal affairs is very ineffective oh, yeah. pretty much across the board. They don't, you know, it's police officers policing the police. All right, they're, they're you know, if, they're, if it's an in-house, you know, it's police officers policing the police. What 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 is that going to do? We need but, a, in a review, civilian review board for that. Right. Some, you know, or a whole separate division um or if a police officer has used excessive force on you or you've witnessed police officer using excessive force or anything bad that the police officers do remember we pay them you pay them you pay their salary they are paid you are paying them to protect you and to serve you but they don't know that anymore they don't they're they're policy enforcers yeah exactly but I, i get it Anyway, what what that does by uh, filing these complaints is they have to go in the police officer's file. And when the police officer, so if you are arrested by the police, uh, a police officer who's for no reason or for a valid reason, but the police officer uses excessive force, for example, your lawyer can bring a motion, what's called a pitches motion to gain access to that police officer's file and get those complaints. So then your lawyer can call all these witnesses that will come in and testify, yes, this same police officer beat me up for no, or has been harassing me or whatever the case may be. And that can be very helpful in your case. And as well, you may want to sue them civilly, which is another thing I encourage people to do when police have violated your rights or, or physically assaulted you, um, used excessive force, even if it is a valid arrest, um, people need to start suing the police department um, because until it hits them in the pocketbook, they don't care, right? Until they start losing money, 
um, that they, they, they just don't care and nothing's going to happen. Right. Um, but again, uh, bringing a civil suit, um, you're going to want to be able to call these other witnesses who experience the same thing with the same officer. So even though, and a lot of people, a lot of my clients, when I'd advise them to go file a complaint, uh, often had the feeling that, oh, well, it's not going to do anything anyway. You know, it's just the police officers that work for internal affairs that are going to, and they're not going to do anything. That may be so, but you're making it, you're creating a paper trail and it um, can be helpful for other people in the future that are harassed or beaten or whatever by the same officer. And, or, you know, if you choose later on down the road to bring a civil suit, which often they don't want to do because they're scared, they're scared of retaliation, but um, you know, by filing a suit, you're also creating a a paper trail. Um, You know, as an attorney, what I've done in in certain cases, and I would encourage other uh, attorneys to do is if I have a client that's being harassed by specific police officers, I will write a letter and I will CC to, to the police chief and I will CC it to the board of supervisors, the head DA in the DA's office, um, and spread it far and wide so that again, you're creating a paper trail. This officer's going to be talked to when Do you also all the DOJ people... department of uh, justice as well. Do you also CC them on there as well? Uh, mm, not, you know, to be honest, it's been a while since, yeah. since I've, um, done that. Um, but I think, I mean, it, I think it'd be good to CC them on there as well. That way they'll, they'll see what's going on as well. And that way, when, when whatever hits the fan and it's time for them to come down and actually do their real investigation, then mm-hmm. they'll have a paper trail also. Right. I generally send it everywhere locally. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, the main, the main concern of my clients at the time were obviously, you know, being harassed by these specific officers. Sure. And so just getting their case dismissed is not going to stop the harassment. Um, and just sending a, a strongly worded letter to the police chief is not likely to stop this uh, behavior. So, right. but if the police chief knows that you also sent it to the head DA and to the board of supervisors and, you know, that puts the pressure on. Right. And it also creates a paper trail so that if this officer uh, does something to my client, then boom, it, you know, we've got right. retaliation, whatever. So, yeah, no, it, it, it definitely helps uh, eventually. Uh, not not always immediately, but it helps eventually right. down, down the long run. So, uh, hey guys, so today uh, we have our uh, special guest here, attorney Erin Moore. And she's practicing law in the state of California, I believe, right? Yes. Okay, great. And so we were just talking about um, racial, uh, um, systemic racism and how there are, how how certain groups of people are treated differently as it relates to systemic racism. I told you guys just a little bit about um, one of my legal situations that I've had uh, in the past with child custody, you know, going through divorce, child custody and all that stuff. And I wanted to share that with you guys so that you guys can kind of see um, not just my story, but my story uh, resonates with so many other stories that, that have gone unheard. And so what we want to do is shine the light and share the light on my story and hopes that it will uh, grasp the attention of others that are interested in fighting for us and with us for social justice, right, in the judicial system. Um, so Aaron, uh, Attorney Aaron Moore, can you share uh, your social media, where you can be reached at, how you can be reached for consultations and uh, for uh, for retaining? Um, yeah, I basically, um, my email address is uh, Aaron, E-R-I-N, Moore, M-O-O-R-E, 408law at gmail.com. And, um, you know, that's primarily the way, and I can also be found on the California State Bar website. Um, 
and for social media. Um, I am not sure I'm on um, Instagram, but I don't know what. Uh... Let me see if I can pull you up on Instagram real quick. I'll help you out with that one. Uh, if you're on Facebook and all that, I, I, I'm not sure. Um, I got you. So on Instagram, you are Aaron Moore ESQ. So at Aaron Moore ESQ, right? Right. I got you. And then uh, Twitter is uh, at Law Office MNM. Okay. And that's it. All right, cool. All right, so let's get into this. We want to get into the thick of some of this other stuff, these other topics that we got. You took down some notes, um, uh, the other topics that we're going to discuss. Let's talk about the let's talk about the uh the parallel between certain groups of people that um, you know, if you had if if you're in this group and you're making this amount of money, you're treated this way. If you're in this group here, then you make this amount of money, less money, you're treated this way. And then if you're in the last group which most of us are people of, they say people of color, so-called people of color, Negro, Black, color. I don't consider myself to be any of that. However, for those that have been categorized as that, we're in those categories, um, you're treated another type of way, right? So let's talk a little bit about that. Right. So as we all know, people with money have a completely different justice system or they are they aren't really bound to the justice system, right? They, um, we see that time and time again, but um, uh, the, the, the whole system is created in a way that it's necessarily going to be more harmful for poor people um, to get arrested or charged with a crime, everything from the bail system uh, all the way through, uh, fines, fees, you know, um, people who don't have any money can't bail out. They can't pay their fines and fees. So they're necessarily going to be found in violation of probation, right? So the whole system is set up to punish poor people. Or, um, you know, people that don't make a lot of money and they um, mortgage their house so they can bail out of jail and then they have to pay all these fines and fees. And it's basically a way of keeping you down, um, preventing any possibility of upward mobility. Um, The the whole system is rigged against... um, uh people that don't don't make money don't have much money it's rigged very much in favor of of the wealthy um and that's a real problem um and then as we were discussing before everything from police departments on up is um racist uh i was uh a little bit earlier discussing the fact that the the jury pool itself is not reflective of the community at large. Oh, jury of um, your peers? No, not at all. You will never get a jury of your peers in the United right. States. Right. So, um, you know, there are all these problems uh, that need to be addressed. Um, California recently um, did some... Uh, there's some new legislation to try to address the bail situation. But as with most legislation, it's not completely well thought through. Um, and so there, there have been some issues created with that. But as long as we try to address these issues, as long as we keep trying to address these issues, um, there will be problems or will be things that come up that weren't thought through, then you address them. But just because every new legislation doesn't necessarily fix the problem doesn't mean we shouldn't try. And so we, we need to, to really put more effort into 
really re um, recreating our entire system from from the bottom up. And I think one of the, as we had previously discussed, one of the most important things, I think one of the most pressing issues today is police reform or defunding the police or whatever we need to do. It needs to be the current system, the current departments, I think need to be completely abolished and rebuilt from scratch. I don't think there's any band-aid you can put on the problem that's going to fix it. I don't think there's any new policy you can implement that's going to fix the problem. It's just too deep. It's just too, um, corrupt that you can't just fix it. You know, when, when we talk about defunding the police, what good does that do? Well, defunding the police. So I've talked to a lot of different people about that, and it means different things to different people. It's sort of a tagline. Um, you know, we we discussed uh, like Black Lives Matter uh, versus Black Lives Matter too, and and that sort of thing. And defund the police um, sounds like people just want to stop. You know, just cancel the police. Uh, all police departments, sheriff's departments, everything all together, just cancel them. They should be abolished. Let me say this. Um, uh, back in the 50s, back in the 60s, you know, you had uh, Black Panther Party and, and some other organizations that uh, that were protecting the community. They were providing free lunch to the schools. That's where free lunch came from today. Uh, you had um, the Black Panther uh, Party. They was out in the streets holding their hands up, signal to the traffic to stop. That's mm-hmm. how we got the stop sign, right? So once we begin to take back our communities, there won't be a need for the for the policy enforcers. Okay, right. there won't be. We will be the policy enforcers, right? So uh, when you look at defunding the police, I say, what good does that do? Because every time there's a riot, or every time there's a protest, what you have done is you just refunded the police. You have made them all millionaires. Because they're getting all of that money, that all of that overtime, they're getting all of that extra whatever it is that they're getting. But uh, you see them uh, in their new Humvees and their new uh, militarized tanks and and their new all these other vehicles and 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 uh, and all these cameras on every corner now, right? Right. But the, the militarization was already happening. I think all that started after nine eleven. That's not in response to the to the um, protests and, and that sort of thing. No, and and I see what you're saying. The, the, it, it the protests amped it up. Right. The protests will bring out more police officers. That's more pay, more money. I understand what you're saying, but it is a double-edged sword. Mm-hmm. The protests also shined a light on a huge problem that was just being ignored. Mm-hmm. It brought people to the table and started people talking about it. It started the discussions. It does that. And people it, it, all over the world that wasn't just in our country sure. were paying attention and they were protesting with us. They mm-hmm. were protesting in solidarity with this huge problem in, in, sure. a, in America. But you also have to understand, you also have to understand this. When you have those people in power those white counterparts that are in power behind the scenes, George Soros and all the other ones, funding the protest, funding protesters, funding the movement, writing checks. Then you've got other protesters protesting about why they didn't get paid. Cut the check. You you had all that going on. You had a lot of provocateurs, opportunists, Mm-hmm. You had a lot of those type of people as well in the protest. And again, the protesting funded that movement, funded greatly the law enforcement and their agencies, funded their equipment, their vehicles, their cameras that they put on every corner now. All of that stuff was funded by these white counterparts, by these people in power, by racism right so again 
I think abolishing it will do a lot better than defunding the departments, right? Well, I think in defunding them. I mean, it's not going to happen overnight. Be abolishing either be way. Abolishing them. Yeah, it's not going to happen overnight. It's not going to. It's not going to happen at all. We're not going to yeah, sure. be able to defund I, or abolish the police. Not I wish we could, but I, I just don't see it happening. At least, yeah, in 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 my yeah, lifetime. Not in this lifetime, unfortunately. Right. 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 Um, but you know, I don't know a better way to shine a light on the the problem and the issues that we are facing it needs to be done it needs to be addressed and it needs to be done yesterday absolutely but more effectively though right so what's more right. effective than protesting because when you're protesting now policy enforces they don't ever forget faces they don't ever forget you so you think it's done and over with and then they pull you over they see you they're going to harass you they're going to retaliate against you they might even kill you I've seen that happen too. It's happened here too. It's happened in St. Louis. Mm-hmm. Oh, you want to protest? You want to call us out? We're going to kill you. You're dead. You're gone. Just like that. So what do you need to do that's most effective? Instead of protesting where it's a group of people together and they can snipe you and they can kill you, they can pick you off. That's ambush. Change the laws. Change the policies. Write the letters to the legislative office, Congress, get laws passed to change that. The, the, I'm going to say this one time, I'm going to be done with it. Okay. The LGBT community, they had laws changed. Okay. Now mm-hmm. it's a hate crime to speak out against them. Okay. The Asians, they say, uh, Asian hate, stop Asian hate. What about black hate? There is in California. There are uh, hate laws uh, addressing that as well. But I'm saying universal Asian right. hate. Well, and and speaking to that, um, contacting legislate legislators, contacting your representatives, and so forth. We had discussed the fact that, in theory, yes, they work for the people, and they in theory, will listen to our concerns and listen to our voices. But our government doesn't work as it was set up to work. It doesn't work how it is was set up to work, is supposed to, to work. And generally, our legislators are accountable only to the people that donate Mass big money. Mm-hmm. And so until the big donors want change. I, you know, we do have some that, that do care about their constituents and do care what our concerns are and what we have to say. But I think largely they only care about their donors. And so, you know, we need a total overhaul of, of everything. And, and the two party system isn't even working anymore. We're going to take a break. We'll be right back. All right, guys, so uh, I want to welcome you all back. Uh, we're here with attorney Aaron Moore. So what we need now, what, what's the solution to all of this, right? We know that there's a lot of systemic racism. We know that there's a lot of organizations, the same organizations getting the same money or getting more money, and they're not doing anything in our communities, right, to support people like me, people like you, right? So what we want to do is uh, we want to partner with an organization I am part of an organization now, the Human Rights and Justice Coalition, and we certainly need to um, develop coalitions around the world that will stand up and fight for, uh, uh, fight against systemic racism, that will bail our people out of jail that's been uh, unjustly uh, incarcerated or locked up or held, right, Uh, against their will illegally, uh, falsely accused, wrongfully accused. We also need to um, shine the light and shed the light on uh, those that have been stopped by the police. Anytime you've been stopped by, well, let me not say police, policy enforcers. Anytime you've been stopped by the policy enforcers, you should have people videoing it, right? Anytime there's any altercations with policy enforcers, you have the right to video it. So we're looking for a team of individuals that will um, be really um, supportive and, and part of 
the Human Rights and Justice Coalition organization um, to, to, to develop a legal team, to develop, to develop strategy, and just really to come on board to affect positive change um, in that specific organization. So whether you are an attorney, whether you are a judge, whether you are uh, an activist, or um, you have any type of degrees and you're interested in being on a board of directors and or you're just really interested in promoting uh, the cause for social justice, true social justice and affecting positive change in your communities around the world, definitely you can reach out to them at humanrightsjusticecoalition at gmail.com. That's humanrightsjusticecoalition at gmail.com. They're doing some wonderful things within the community. And uh, I think you really like what, what they have going on. Uh, uh, Attorney Aaron Moore, any other thoughts and suggestions? Uh, no, I think that uh, that pretty much covers it. I think um, people do, especially uh, white people, need to, when they see an injustice or they just see somebody of color being pulled over, start videotaping, just videotape it. Um, we got to police the police because nobody else is going to do it. Um, so I think that it falls on, um, our shoulders as citizens, um, wanting to live in a better world to, to take that on, uh, take that upon ourselves, uh, to act on. Um, and yeah, I think organizations like human rights and, uh, justice coalition, uh, are, are, are needed to amplify the message, um, uh, the only way to draw attention to the fact that there needs to be changed is to amplify the voices. And um, as you pointed out, well, an effective way of amplifying uh, voices can be through um, uh Sorry. Um, through podcasting, through well, or through, through videoing, through collaborations and coalitions, right? Right. Yeah. Um, basically, um, unless unless the powers that be are forced to, there will be no change. Um, and the only way to to force them to is to get people talking about it to amplify the voices and to get the message out there and don't stop, you know? Um, now in closing, I want to say this, uh, we are not anti uh, law enforcement. We are not anti policy enforcers. Okay. What we are anti is anti racist. We're against racism. All right. We're against racism. Okay. So, uh, and we are against systemic racism, judicial racism, all of that, okay? So let's be clear what we're talking about here, okay? So in closing, uh, I'd like to say that it has definitely been a pleasure having attorney Aaron Moore on with us today. We're looking forward to having you back. We know you have prior obligations and you got to get going soon. Any final words? Um, I think that about covers it. Um... I think, you know, the, all the protests brought people to the table to recognize that, that there are, are some real problems. Uh, they started discussing it, but as far as I can tell, um, when the protests eased up, the discussions eased up. And so I think it's more important now than, than ever to um, write to your legislators uh, get involved with movements, human rights um, and justice coalition, um, other, any other organizations that um, are really gonna, gonna try to force this issue, amplify your voices any way you can. Um, let's not let this discussion slow down sure. or stop. We need to keep it going. Absolutely. Definitely. And we are not advocating or promoting uh, Black Lives Matter uh, under no circumstances. Uh, when, when that reference was made earlier, uh, uh, let me say this, Black Lives Matter is problematic. That group, that organization, the, 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 the so-called three women that founded it or had a hand in that, we're, we're not affiliated with them. We're not promoting any of them, any of that at all. 
um, what uh, Attorney Aaron Moore was uh, referencing was a conversation that we had earlier about uh, Black Lives Matter too. That's what it was originally called. That was the original movement. It was called Black Lives Matter Two, right? So uh, the Black Lives Matter movement is problematic and it creates a lot of confusion among the community, right? And so uh, we, we, we want to just kind of put that out there today for you guys so you guys can kind of uh, be made aware of that, okay? So with no further ado, I want to say I appreciate you, Attorney Aaron Moore, for coming out today and having this discussion with us. Let's keep it going. Looking forward to uh, dialoguing with you a little bit later. So enjoy the rest of your day. It's been a pleasure. Thanks. Thanks. You too. I appreciate you. Thank you. Bye. Bye.